What's up, everyone? This is Wes Lyon, your co-host of the Next Gen DDS podcast. I'll be joined by Dr. Scott Meneker, bringing you independent, objective advice to help start your dental career off on the right path. On the show, we sit down to discuss both financial and clinical matters impacting young dentists, leaning on our over 40 years of experience at the McGill and Hill Group to provide you with the keys to success. Hey, welcome. This is Scott. I'm here with my co-host, Wes. We're here to talk about uh, what's going on in the world of dentistry, especially for young dentists. So one of the questions, Wes, that I get a lot is, especially from young dentists that I talk to, is, so, so what should I, what should my financial goals be once I get out of school? Lots of, lots of uh, questions and very little answers for them. No, I get it all the time. I get, you know, usually it's somebody that knows what I do and, hey, I've got the, you know, my friend's kid is a dental student and they've got three offers or something. And, you know, they don't really know what to do with them and nobody knows how to help them. So I think we've got three big things we want to cover today on it. I'm going to cover two financial issues. You're going to be looking at these that you really need to think about. One, although it may not show up in specifically in your financial contract, is most of you know, hey, are there enough patients that both that doctor and you can be busy if it is a private practice? And I see oftentimes where you know somebody goes in, or I see it on the the actual senior doctor side too, where they say, hey. Wes, you know, I'm going to bring an associate in, so I want to transition in five years. And I say, well, you know, you're only doing 900000 right now, including the hygiene. Where are we going to get enough money to pay this associate doctor? And it's a misconception. Associate doctors don't actually bring new patients into a practice. So that's the first thing is, you know, there will be a day and a time where you'll be able to produce a lot of new patients. But right out of school, you're probably not going to be the one to bring the new patients in the door. So make sure wherever you are, it does have enough patients for you to succeed in that practice. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, private and mentorship. But for a lot of young doctors, that could mean going to work for corporate because they have the patient base. But that is first and foremost is make sure there's enough patients, enough work to be done that you're going to be a dentist there and you're not just going to be twiddling your thumbs or doing paperwork or something else. And then the second one I always want to quickly look at is what are your long-term goals and where do you want to be? Like right now, we've got a practice that we're trying to, you know, get somebody to buy. It's a phenomenal practice. It would be a great one for any young doctor to buy. And we have the perfect candidate and that candidate has a non-compete in that area. So that candidate is working in the area in which they want to buy a practice and the non-compete is stopping them from doing it. So if you're 100% certain on where you want to go, don't go be an associate there unless you know you're going to be able to buy that practice. Make sure that non-compete's not going to apply. Non-competes can be negotiated to some extent, but you know, if you're going, depends on the town, right? Let's say, Scott, we're going to New York City, right? Okay, you could probably be you know, far enough up in New York City where you could still work in New York City and maybe not violate a non-compete. I don't know. I haven't seen a New York City one, but that's a whole lot different than if you came down to, you know, let's say Fort Mill, South Carolina, and you decided that, hey, I want to be in Fort Mill and this person needs an associate in Fort Mill. And well, Fort Mill ain't a big enough town. Your non-compete's going to be the entire town of Fort Mill, maybe even pieces of Charlotte. So just make sure that, you know, you don't overstep, sign something that you're going to regret later, because sometimes, you know, if you go, let's just say I live down in the Fort Mill area, 
you want to come back down to Fort Mill, South Carolina as a dentist. So you come as an associate and then you realize you want to open your own practice. You want to buy one, but you have a non-compete. Well, that means you might have to leave for two years and sit out that non-compete. And who wants to do that? So that's just something I think both of those get overlooked very often. And they're quick things. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've got a, a client I'm working with. So Fort Mill is a, is a, is a, a growing community just on the border of Charlotte, between Charlotte and Rock Hill. Rock Hill's a little bigger town. And I've got a, a current client I'm working with now uh, looking to kind of become a partner or to buy a practice. He's in Rock Hill. We have a terrific practice in Fort Mill, maybe the same practice you're talking about. And he can't, he can't, he can't become a, he can't purchase that practice because he's got a non-compete that extends into that area. So, you know, you never know that for sure, but, but it is certainly, as Wes is pointing out, it's, it's a big consideration you need to think about so that it doesn't shut you out. Yeah. I think it's just one that the young doctors and, you know, we were both in school and broke at one point, (laughs) you know, all of us. Yeah. When you're going out and you have no money and somebody offers you a job, (laughs) you tend to overlook some of the small details in the contract because you're looking at the big part, which is, hey, you know, I get to pay my rent. Hey, my student loans, you know, I got all these bills, but that one can really come back to bite you in the long term. So those are two quick ones. They're fairly easy to think about and potentially solve. But Scott, I really want to turn it to you because you're a clinician. You you are a dentist. And this is something I try to help young dentists understand. And I don't know if I really try to help them understand when I just try to help them think about it. Right. Which is when you've got multiple offers or places to go, you know, you you're gonna graduate dental school, but you know, you're not gonna be as fast or as great. You're not gonna be the clinician that's been doing it for 38 years like you have. So Scott, when you're looking at these and you're trying to decide, and our third thing we want to discuss is mentorship, building competency, speed, skill set. Uh, Scott, what are you looking for there? What should you be looking for? Now, not everybody's going to get their ideal job. I didn't start my ideal job right out of college. Sometimes you have to take a little bit of sacrifice, but if you could build up your ideal way that you would want to learn to really become a good dentist, you know, what is it that you're looking for with that practice? Sure. So, you know, I, I think back to when I first got out of school in 1985, you were talking about making sure that the practice has enough patience. Well, I got, went into an associateship with a great guy, super nice man who wasn't doing dentures. He wasn't doing endo. He was not doing any perio and I, he was going to let me do all that. Well, he really didn't, and, and, he, and he talked a nice game, but I don't think at the end of the day, he really wanted an associate because he really didn't have any of that to give up. And, and when some of it would pop up, he all of a sudden started doing it because he realized he was giving something away that he really didn't want to give away. We parted company in, on good terms about 10 months later, but I sat around not really doing a whole lot when I was kind of promised that there would be a lot more for me to do. So you can never have a 100% guarantee, but you really want to get a good idea and have some discussions with this, this doctor if you're going into an associateship with of, you know, what are the new patient numbers? What, what, what is, what's here for me? Am I going to have a clinical staff? What days am I working? What are those kind of simple questions that, that, that are the basics of what you want to understand as you go for this? You know, I... I think one thing is you were talking about that came up because I always ask the senior doctor just and I go, well, why do you want an associate? And that can be very, very telling. 
you know, I have too many patients and I don't know what to do with them. And I'm sick of sending them to my competition because I don't have room in my schedule. That's a phenomenal reason to need an associate, right? Hey, you know, I'm not quite ready to give it up, but I'm 100% ready to step back. We've got enough patients to where we could add Friday and I don't want to work Thursday anymore. And, you know, I'm willing to give up, you know, half my clinical days on Tuesday and Wednesday. Great. This is something that's thought it through. You know, then again, I ask some people, why do you want an associate? And you kind of get a blank answer and you look at the practice, there's not enough patients. That's telling. And most of the time, that's the the, the doctor saying he wants an associate because somebody told him he should. And and that's really not the right answer. So, you know, you get out of school, you've now got free reign to go do anything, any, almost any dental procedures you want. You know, you can do complex, you know, you can do orthodontics, you can do implants, you can take out impacted. You could, you got to make a decision about what you're good at and what you feel comfortable doing. And that's really the first piece of this, because you now got to start figuring out how you start ramping up your speed, because in many cases, you're going to be paid on a commission basis on what you do. Now, that doesn't mean go out and start just, you know, telling people they need to do things they don't need to do so you can be busy. We can, we'll spend, we can probably go spend a couple episodes talking about that in treatment planning. But what we really want to do is figure out how you start seeing, let's call it a patient an hour, and doing more than just one little occlusal filling, you're going to be start doing one, two fillings. You're going to, you're going to spend a couple hours doing a crown and, and versus kind of getting away from the school environment where you had so much time, as well as you're now going to have nobody looking over your shoulder. And the one thing advice that I've always given is if you think you're going to do harm or you're not sure, stop. You call your associate doctor, put a temporary filling in. Don't, don't go, and, I, and I've seen dentists, and, and I've had associates who, who kind of got in over their head and didn't know where to stop. I was just down the hall. They could have come and got me, and, and it was just the, they made just the wrong decision. So, gee, you just got to be careful. But that first year, Wes, as you've kind of indicated, is, is you really need to kind of start getting those clinical skills going, and you'll start to master some of these other things, the things that you really enjoy as you get going. So I've, I think I just pulled something out of there that I want to talk a little bit more about. You mentioned you were right down the hall and they could have came and got you. Now, everybody, I think, learns differently. Me is now running a business. I've had to realize that, that not everybody learns the way I do. So some people learn by they go in and do it and they don't need a lot. Some people need their hand held. So I think when we're looking and we're trying to find a good fit, this will be different for everybody. But I've always said it must be a good gut instinct between you and that doctor that, you know, you feel like this doctor is going to serve the needs that you have. And you've been on both sides, right? You've been the young associate who's needed the mentorship and you've done a lot of mentoring as well. So, sure. you know, walk me through a little yep. bit. What are you looking for yeah, as yeah, far so, as that so, goes? So I think the, the, the piece, that, you know, the other alternative that we did talk about is in an ideal world, you're going to go get out of school. You're going to find the right practice with the right doctor who's going to mentor you. It'll grow into either a partnership or the doctor is going to retire and you'll buy the practice. That's the ideal. We'd love to tell you that that's going to happen to, to all of you, but that's probably not. It's going to take probably not for many of you, and at least initially. And we're trying to help give you the guidance to say, 
your first job is not going to be your last job in today's world. And you just got to set yourself up for that. But we're talking about this mentorship. I think back to my 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 last associate who turned into my partner. Trish was with me 16 years ago. She showed up. She had been driving around with one of the dental reps in town, looking to, she was graduating from school, looking for the right practice. She had met a number of different offices. She was she, They brought her by. I talked to her for 30 minutes late one afternoon. I said, you have to come back and talk to me tomorrow. Trish came back, talked to me for three hours. My gut was saying she was the right person for me. She needed to go home and kind of think through this because I offered her a job that day. It just, I, I've been in, uh, been in the business long enough that, that I knew she and I were the right fit and the right combination going forward. And, and she called me the next day and basically said, I'm going to take this job. I've been offered more money by other people. Basically, every other uh, office that she had talked to had offered her more money. But she, she was pretty close to her three sisters in town. And they all sat and met probably over a glass of wine or so that night. And basically, all of them said their gut was, I was the right person. I was the right mentor for her. And so she made a big decision. She could have made significantly more money. I'm probably talking more than 20 to 30 grand a year, but I was offering something much better than that. So we try to tell people the money will come, but be smart about your decision. Trish made that decision that I was going to be the right mentor for her long-term. And it, and it, she was great for me and I was great for her. I used to always joke that Trish would come down the hall and she'd come in and she'd tell me what she was going to do. And her favorite word at the end was, right? <laughs> and, and she knew what the answer was, but she just wanted somebody to, to reassure her. More so, she did that more so early. As, as time went on, when things got a little more complex, she would still come in and, and I would go do that to her. So it was nice having that, that relationship with her. But, but finding that right mentor was crucial to my partner and going with her gut said this was a better choice. No, perfect. Well, I think we got three things and we're going to have more episodes on all these topics because finding a job, the contracts, it's all, it can get a little bit overwhelming, but we do want to give everybody the, the three big takeaways I think we've got from today, Scott, are two quick ones or one, you know, hey, figure out if there is enough work patient flow in the practice before you commit to being an associate. And that's definitely something that everybody wants to figure out. Second one, make sure you know your long-term goals and you don't contractually leave yourself out of any future opportunities due to a non-compete. So if you know exactly where you want to be, it's not a great idea to sign a non-compete exactly where you want to be. You might have to go somewhere else for a little while. You might have to go up the road, depending on how big of a metropolitan area or how small of a town can kind of depend on how you can negotiate that non-compete. You know, if you're in a big city and you know you want to be on the opposite side of the city, you can potentially get that carved out or, hey, we only want to do it four miles. But you're in a small town. Chances are that whole small town's getting written off and Lastly, it's important you're with or in a position in which you will succeed clinically to become a better clinician each and every day. And Scott, we'll probably do a whole episode on this moving forward because you actually do buyer representation. But just to leave a little bit behind the why on that one, Scott, can you buy a practice if you can't currently handle that production level? 
The answer to that is a big fat no. And is that personal or is somebody else making that decision for you like the bank? (laughs) It could be a little bit of both. You know, the banks are certainly going to look at numbers and and I've done that with some of the the, the clients that I'm representing now. And, 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 you know, the guy says, well, the banks are going to give me a hundred percent. Well, they can, but they're also going to look at it from a standpoint of, do they think you're able and ready to take on this number? I've got one client I'm talking, I just talked with yesterday and she's getting ready to, I won't say jump off the cliff. I'm trying to help her not jump off the cliff because it could just be a little bit overwhelming for her. And, and I just, our goal is to help doctors make sure that they're making good clinical and, and, and business decisions, but also financial ones. And, and, and that's where we can help them. Oh, absolutely. Well, Scott, it's been fun. It's been fun. And we'll be back shortly for next episode. <laughs> That wraps up another episode of Next Gen DDS. Make sure you subscribe to our sister show, Drilling It Down. And also, for those of you who aren't newsletter subscribers, make sure you visit our website, mcgilladvisory.com. Subscribe to our newsletter to receive the latest news, tax, and financial planning tips to help you slash your taxes, increase your profits, and protect your wealth. Students can receive a complimentary membership at mcgillhillgroup.com forward slash student membership.